Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Friend Wrap. I'm your host, Nicholas Lorimer, and today I'm joined by Makone Maja. And let's get started with our first news story of today, <clears throat> and that is the defeat of the uh, DA's proposed, what they call, um, end bill. So DA MP Leon Schreiber put forward this private member's bill to parliament, which was going to, which he called the end cater deployment bill. He said it would make it a, it would make it a criminal offense to interfere in public appointment processes. It would prohibit politicians from working in the civil service. And he says that the bill would also make public service, the public service commission independent and be forced to only uh, appoint people based on merit. Um, the thing went to a vote in parliament and the ANC with 201 MPs and the PAC managed to defeat the bill, which was supported by the DA, EFF, IFP, Freedom Front Plus, ACDP, and oddly the AIC, uh, which often votes with the ANC, but they voted with the opposition this time. Um, the UDM, ATM, Good, NFP, COPE, and Al Jamaha were not present at the vote. Uh, presumably they had better things to do than legislate. Uh, the weirdest part, just as an aside, is that Al Jamaha actually spoke, spoke in favor of the bill and then didn't bother to actually attend the vote, um, which is a bit weird. Anyway, um, McCorney, what do you make of this? Uh, you did a little bit of reading on this bill. We made a submission as the Institute of Race Relations on this bill. What are your thoughts on the indicator deployment bill? I think this is one of those instances where you get a full sense of democracy or the ability of, of the, the three branches of government to hold each other accountable where you can evidently see what happens when the executive is the legislature, right? Is you're not actually able to affect those account like a balances of power between the three branches of, of, of government. I did read the, the 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 report that held that this amendment bill was undesirable by the ANC and that one PAC MP. Um, first, I'll speak about our submission. So as the IRR, we submitted that um, politicization of public offices is not favorable or desirable because incumbents use that platform to garner political favor and look for oppositions. So instead of actually acting or um, using public office to effect um, good governance. They use it to uh, attract more political power and gain favor that way. You see this in how the vote was cast, actually. So <laughs> true to form, no disappointments there from the ANC. And then I read the six, seven uh, reasons why the members of the ANC held that this um, amendment bill was undesirable. And essentially, they just found technicalities to escape passing this bill, which include that, for example, you need cohesion between local government laws and national government laws first, um, holding that they should first affect uh, meritocracy in those capacities as a local and national government first before you see that uh, bill passed in, in, in parliaments, but also that there are already laws that have been tabled for a while now that essentially want to um, affect the same thing, meritocratic um, positions being attract, using meritocracy to attract public officials and governments, um, and that those bills should be considered before the amendments. So, yep, just another way of finding the ANC, finding ways to evade law, justice, good governance. Right, and as pointed out by uh, opposition MPs, the Zonda Commission report found that cater deployment was, in, in uh, Zondo's view, um, 
unconstitutional and illegal. And yet the ANC is doubling down on it, which I think really does uh, reveal the problem here, which is that cadre deployment has been at the heart of so much government failure over the last 20, 30 years, whatever. Um, and yet it is uh, still a core tenant of ANC policy. And until that is changed, things in the country really won't get any better. Okay, let's move on to our next story. And this is, well, this is the kind of story that often doesn't even make the news um, because unfortunately it's rather common. A man was beaten to death in Dipslut and he was accused by people in the area, presumably some of whom had either watched this happen or took place and took part in the violence, um, that he had been firing his gun randomly in the air along with another accomplice. Uh, he was told to stop, he refused to, and then he was beaten by the crowd and killed, and the other guy managed to escape. Um, police say that they are not 100% sure exactly why this happened. They're looking into it. They will be investigating it. But I suspect, as in many of these vigilante cases, the perpetrators won't be able, won't be caught or won't actually be sentenced. Um, and... You know, we see these all. We see these quite quite often uh, in, in South Africa's poorer areas. Um, people are accused of crimes of theft, of rape, of murder, and they end up at the at the wrong end of an angry mob, which kills them. Sometimes with just straight up beatings, but also horrifyingly sometimes with uh, petrol and matches. Um, a return to the old necklacing practices. But Corner, what do you make of this story? This really just seems to me as the sort of the inevitable result of a police force that's not able to properly chase down criminals and properly put them in prison. And so people have lost faith in that system. And now they're turning to these horrifying extrajudicial methods of dealing with crime. What do you think? Yeah, so much excessive force where people lose trust in these institutions that are supposed to protect them. Um, and they end up taking the law into their own hands, as we see here in Deep Sluit. I was also wondering why this particular case received so much attention, but I think it's because Deep Sluit has recently, they were marching to their police stations, asking them to act on the high rate of crime that's happening there. I think it's ranked something like 19th in Gauteng as the most violent town um, and 47th in South Africa. I maybe need to, I need to be fact-checked on those positions. Um, but I also had a, a personal anecdote to share about a family that I know that has received um, similar threats from community members about a son of theirs who is accused of terrorizing the community and stealing from members of the community, and they've promised to to kill him if he if he does not put an end to it, right? So South Africans are known for taking their law the law into their own hands, and there's always excessive force, like you said, when those extrajudicial um, mechanisms come into play. You saw this. I think in the last two years, there was a similar incident that happened in Maboneng, which is such a public district. I mean, it's 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 vibey, it's vibrant, it's young, it, it's hip. Um, but you saw a similar thing where a car robber was kicked to his death by a mob there as people express a lot of frustration and, and tiredness at the levels of crime and being terrorized by criminals in their communities. No, exactly right. And this is why restoring the police force's functionality um, and by doing things like decentralizing the police force, uh, ending catered deployment, ending um, political interference in, in police uh, activities is key to actually fixing many of South Africa's problems. Because until we get our high levels of violence under control, 
we're really not going to see the kind of growth, the poverty alleviation, um, and the stability that we need to really thrive as a country. Okay, let us move on to our last story. And this is a uh, comment by our president, Sir Ramaphosa, who is at the UN. Currently, there's a sitting of the UN uh, where all the world leaders are giving speeches. Ramaphosa gave a speech, which got a big round of applause, where he said, quote, the question we have to ask is, where are the women of the world? I am proud that in South Africa, 50% of the members of the cabinet are women. Today, I'm accompanied by an all-women delegation to the United Nations General Assembly. It should be a matter of concern to all of us that the majority of us sitting in this assembly are men. The women of the world have the right to be here to represent the views of women across the world. McConaughey, what do you make of this? An absolute utter cringe fest, but I'm also glad, Nick, that you're going to spare us of your mansplaining about where the women of the world are. I mean, it's, it's nothing to boast about that 50% of our cabinet is women. We also have a minister of women, by the way, who nobody has any idea what her portfolio entails. I mean, it should be self-explanatory, but still not clear because people are constantly crying about the levels of GBV and rape in this country, right? South Africa often makes that list of rape capital, number one rape capital of the world quite frequently, um, whatever reasons that may be attributable to. It is true that South Africa has uh, violence against uh, women or sexual violent crimes against women uh, problem. So it's nothing to be boastful about that our cabinet is 50% of women, especially in the climate that we live in today where government does not function very well, if at all. So, yeah, I would caution the president there about those that that particular virtue signaling at the UN. Exactly, because it's so hollow. Yes, 50% of cabinet are women, but also we've got old Gorgos sitting by the side of the road, um, unable to go home because they never got their grant money for their pensions, or they didn't get their child grant, younger mothers, and so are not able to feed their kids this month. Uh, maybe government should focus a little bit more on those than grandstanding on the world stage about how many boxes we've ticked at the elite level uh, might go a long way towards fixing some of our problems. Anyway, that is all the time we have for today. Uh, I hope you found the show interesting. And that's a wrap. <laughs>